Uh, welcome to this uh, podcast, uh, a continuation of the um, first podcast we have. This one is going to um, focus on our caregiving, my caregiving story, uh, battling COVID-19, um, a disease that arrived at, uh, at my home, it affected my son, so this particular story is really close to heart because, um, you know, it. It came home. It it affected my my boys. So I'm gonna start by giving you a background story of how it all um, unfolded. We had a good Easter celebration, and uh, we attended uh, service on TV because at the time churches were closed, and uh, the boys accused me of what I usually do. Uh, I made a large food <laughs> fest, a lot of food. Uh, they thought nobody, you know, was going to eat it, but usually it finds its way and it gets eaten. So um, uh, what happened? So we had a festive family meal, eaten together in an environment filled with conversation and laughter. Uh, the following week was remarkably different and a complete departure from our pleasant Easter experience. Actually, I woke up... Um, I woke up on Easter Monday feeling like I had a sore throat. I also had a light headache. And out of caution, I decided to cancel the home uh, case visits I had scheduled. For that day, I began to self-monitor for symptoms and must have felt like I was very sick. Although physically, you know, I wasn't feeling like um, I had I had anything. I was... Nothing was really different. It was psychological, I guess. So, um, and also didn't have the symptoms identified by public health officials, like, you know, a hundred degree fever, a cough, and shortness of breath. So, although I was physically well, I was worried and struggling, psychologically at least. Did I already have the disease? I kept asking myself. Did I already put my family in harm's way? How about my clients that I had seen recently? Were they in trouble because of me? The weight of my cross, as I thought about these things, felt heavier and heavier each day of that week. But little did I know that the days that were coming ahead were even going to be we're going to cross into forbidding territory. So at around the same time, my son, my middle son, Adrian, had lately been helping his father with some of the projects, uh, including driving him around. So at this point, let me take the opportunity to introduce my sons who are here with me. Uh, Adrian, uh, over there. Hi, Adrian. Hi. And, Thank uh, you for having me. Okay, nice to have you here, and uh, thank you for joining. And uh, Edo, my third son, is also here with us. Welcome Thanks, to both of you. Thank you for having me in your podcast. Yes, so these are the, the two sons that were the center of this battle with COVID because they both got affected. So um, Adrian had lately been helping his father with some projects, including driving him around, and uh, we later heard that two people at his place of work 
had tested positive. And when he informed us that Wednesday after Easter that he had tested positive for COVID-19, <clears throat> I knew that my sons were in trouble, that probably all of us had got infected too through Adrian who had been working with him. So um, I must have asked <laughs> like a dozen questions at that, at that time, uh, all of which were patiently answered. I guess, and um, uh, but I felt I felt like I was getting sick and sicker, you know, in my mind, mentally. Uh, but like everyone else, I had kind of prepared for this day by purchasing some household supplies. Uh, I had stocked up on food. I had some masks and some gloves. And uh, I had also bought over-the-counter maids like cough syrups and uh, Tylenol and, uh, you know, things like that. So, uh, and everybody else, you know, was doing the same. You remember at that time there was even some kind of... Um, shortages of things you know you remember that uh, the lines around grocery stores people lining up and people grabbing uh, so many supplies like toilet paper and uh, paper towels things of that nature so um and we had already started using some of the um ppe the protective um equipment that we had bought, like masks and gloves. Every time we went outside the home, before we got tested, we had started using it already. So I checked the supplies again to see where we were, where whether we still had enough or whether I had to find a way of restocking. So many things were running through my head at that time. Did I need to stock more food? How was I going to do the shopping? How was I going to... How was I... What was going to happen? So um, I had ordered some PPE online, but at the time everything was out of stock, was on back order, because the demand for these products was very, very high at the time. So um, I think it was uh, a Thursday uh, when I called a testing center at an urgent care location in a nearby city and told them, you know, we wanted to be tested. I explained the situation and how uh, my son had got exposed and how we're all worried that we probably, you know, had uh, got the disease. And um, I didn't expect the answer that I got because after the explanation, um, it must have been a female nurse at on the other side of the phone, and she must have been compassionate, and what she said must have been logical, <laughs> but I didn't hear it all because what the the only thing I remember at the time is that she said to me, uh, "No, you cannot come over here for testing as a family because of the likely exposure. Just assume that you've all been affected, infected, so stay home." Just start the the the, quarrel, the quarantine, you know. Oh, that broke my heart. It was kind of a <laughs> that came like a shock to me. They couldn't get us tested. They could. They she didn't have any suggestions, or maybe she did. But my mind was kind of. I didn't hear it. I don't remember her say saying anything else. So for me, that was it. And um, <clears throat> that night. So I started preparing, and that night Adrian complained of a fever, and uh, he took regular Tylenol and kept monitoring 
the temperature the following day i called because i was desperate i wanted everybody to be tested i wanted adrian to be tested so um when i called the drive through center the cvs uh parking lot center the the system directed me to to um their website which i surfed right away and uh I was pleasantly surprised uh, when I filled out the information and the system prompted me for the date and time I wanted to be tested. I couldn't believe our luck because you may recall that at that time, you know, around April, May, testing was so, so difficult. Uh, we live in Massachusetts and I guess in other states too. Testing was very, very difficult to access. So when this automatic system prompted me for a date and time we wanted to test, I, I filled it in. I called uh, my sons and said, now all of you and your girlfriends, just go to this website, fill out your information and book the same date and time like the one that had been assigned. And um, before we knew it, all of us were booked. All of us were booked to go for testing. I was so thrilled. So our testing day was uh, April 17th, 2020. That was our COVID-19 <laughs> testing day. Hey, Adrian, does that ring a bell? <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that also happened to be Adrian's birthday. April 17th. We'll never forget April 17th, <laughs> 2020. So we used uh, on that day, we are all we all got donned in masks and gloves and everything else that we could um, uh, protect ourselves with, and we drove to uh, the CVS in Lowell, uh, got screened, and joined the long winding line of cars we found at the testing center. Given the volume of traffic, actually, at the center, everything seemed to be very well organized. There was no chaos. Everything was, um, the line was actually moving, moving well, and that was very efficiently. And uh, the situation was not chaotic at all. Testing was offered free of charge. Our turn came after about, I think it was about two and a half hours in the line. Uh, were in separate cars but were communicating over the phone so they identified um, they verified our information we filled that we had filled out online and um, uh, then the nurse we eventually came out <laughs> after our turn came when we arrived at the testing the front of the, the, the testing line the nurse who came out with a nasal swab uh tests she also had a good sense of humor and tried to make light of what was undeniably a tense and very anxiety provoking kind of circumstance and um she instructed us on how to do the self swabbing you know you have to do it uh, you have to push it a little bit invasively right and close to the tip of the up through the nostril through the close to the upper uh, side of the uh, end of the nose. And uh, we tried to do that. And uh, she took uh, the collection kits back and uh, they processed the results. And um, they had a, s a specific packing 
area designated for people that were in their cars uh, to stay there in a, that separate area to wait for the results. Um, after about 45 minutes of what seemed like a lifetime, <laughs> the, uh, we, the phone, you know, the phone rang to say our test results were ready. And uh, they again verified our information. And one by one, they told us what the results were. And um, someone also came after that and dropped off, dropped off some kind of, uh, yeah, the, 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 paper, the paperwork uh, from the results, dropped it on the screen outside the car. There was no physical contact uh, between us and the um, healthcare professionals that were doing the testing. So when the results came, my two sons tested positive. My two nephews and I tested negative. So at that moment, you know, the, this was the reality of our situation. Two boys tested positive. I was negative. My nephews were negative. I knew at that moment I had to quickly transition into a battle mode, some kind of fighting mode to help my sons fight this virus. Um, the boys contacted their primary doctors, as we had been advised to do. And shortly after that, we began setting up in earnest some kind of home care operation to fight COVID, <laughs> you know. And... Um, Given the seriousness of this disease and what we knew about it through public health information, TV and newspapers, I quickly understood that for me, this was likely the ultimate challenge for me as a mother, as a healthcare worker, and as um, someone you know, who had responsibility, <laughs> you know, to, to make the operation succeed. So, um, and I also recognized that um, the data and the information available from public health officials indicated that uh, infection and hospitalization rates was uh, a little, um, the rates were lower among young people you know, in the age group of my sons. So that gave me a little bit of um, hope. But I also, um, I also, we also knew that um, there was also public health information uh, indicating that probably the rates of hospitalization initially were underestimated within that age group, that more people within the age group of my sons were actually being hospitalized. So there was varying information. The information was not even. So there was a lot of uncertainty, and I didn't know what symptoms were going to develop. Given the, the chronological age of my boys, they were supposed to be healthy. They are both, they also have an athletic background. Uh, but Adrian, uh, right from childhood, has been battling some kind of congestion, nasal congestion issues. And uh, I was very, very worried about him. And uh, because this was a, a respiratory disease, I didn't know how he was going to fight off this disease. But because he was athletic and young and uh, 
healthy. Uh, I knew that gave me some hope. But um, I didn't know nobody knew much about this illness. There was a lot of, uh, war, you know, rumors and all kinds of information. And the doctors themselves, the primary doctors for my sons, didn't actually provide much guidance. The only thing that they asked us to focus on was to control the symptoms. And if there were any flare-ups or escalation or, you know, like the temperature going above 100, we should con 102 degrees that we should actually contact them. Otherwise, beyond that, there was nothing. There was no guidance. And, um, and that all this was happening at a time in Massachusetts when the epidemiological curve of um, this disease was actually peaking in this state. And uh, on TV and everywhere, we're seeing that so far 45,000 lives had been lost to this disease, and uh, the number of cases was uh, rising astronomically. Oh my goodness me, it was a scary, frightening situation. And here I was, uh, expected to take care of my sons. And the doctors were kind of like out of it, you know? They were the physicians, and because, well, because my sons were not hospitalized, because they were, I was supposed to take care of them at home, I was supposed to lead this whole operation. They must have they must have had you know patients that were sicker, you know, hospitalized or going to clinics that they were attending to. So for us, we were not actually on that priority list, which made me very very anxious <laughs> because I would have assumed that because the goal was to prevent um, escalation of symptoms to try and control these symptoms so that people would not have to be rushed to hospitals if their symptoms got worse, that there would have been someone from the doctor's office actually doing strict monitoring to make sure that the symptoms were in control and would not end up having to go to a hospital. But that actually didn't happen. So for me, that was an eye-opener that uh, everybody was like on their own. <laughs> you know, if you were at home, you had to be on your own and you just had to do it. So uh, for people that didn't have a care background like me, uh, I, up till now, I keep wondering how do, how do they cope? How do they manage to go through this? Because my personal experience with my family indicates that once... Once you got someone to take care of at home, down with COVID, you are on your own unless symptoms escalated. And the idea was to keep symptoms low, you know, controlled. So that, that was a conundrum that um, I think many people had to deal with. And um, But of course, if the symptoms had escalated, would have certainly informed and gotten the primary care doctors more involved. And that is the point, you know, of emphasis. Um, Home-based care of COVID symptoms was key to the prevention of hospitalization. But the generic guidance from the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, on what to do if you tested positive, I was surprised. I must emphasize this. I was surprised to find that individuals with mild or no symptoms were being asked to stay home with little, you know, primary care physician guidance and monitoring. Uh, 
at the height of the crisis, you know, for them to follow up and provide day-to-day person-centered guidance. We never got that. And um, so I understood that this was my own, you know, tough battle to lead and fight. I had to control the symptoms to, uh, you know, to prevent escalation. And um, I never felt so desperate, I must say. (laughs) I never felt so desperate and anxious, so alone in a home care setting, controlling symptoms, dealing with my own children, (laughs) taking care of my own own children, uh, helping them fight a deadly disease. Anything could happen. I don't know whether I managed to sleep for more than two, three hours in the night, but so many things were going through my head, and um, I just had this firm resolve to fight, to provide professional, informed, and continuous high-quality care, probably as no one else could, to my isolated children. I had to do it. So that is the background. That is the background story. And um, I think I've um, gone as far as uh, talking about uh, the testing. And uh, I guess the next... um, the next thing is I uh, would like to talk about the post-positive test- testing period. I would like to um, ask each one of you to, to briefly describe uh, what you went through after we got, uh, you know, the positive test results. And, um, you know, let us know and uh, we'll point out some of the things you might want other people to, to learn from your experience and um, maybe a few words of caution and other, um, and other experiences that you might like to share. Uh, let's start with you, uh, Adrian. Yes. Um um, thanks for sharing the background. You know, it's um, it's interesting. And just to give you a little bit of um, of background too, you know, I've always been very athletic. Uh, you know, I work out a lot and know these different things. And I've always been very in tune uh, with my body. Uh, so leading to, um, to actually, you know, finding out that I, uh, you know, that I would eventually test positive for, you know, for COVID, you know, the day before, you know, I was actually supposed to work out with, uh, uh, with a cousin of mine. Uh, we usually work out in the evenings uh, together and, you know, I wasn't feeling like myself, you know, and, you know, I was sitting there and I was thinking, why am I so tired? Why am I so fatigued? And, you know, when I was looking back during the day, I, you know, I was thinking to myself, wait, you know, I'm, I didn't do anything uh, physically demanding today. Why am I feeling so tired? And I remember calling, uh, calling my cousin and letting him know that, hey, you know what, uh, today I think I'm going to take it easy. I'm just going to go rest up. Uh, I don't know why I'm feeling like this. Um, and so, you know, I went back home, took a nap. And when I woke up, I was drenched in so much sweat. I had such a high fever, you know, and I immediately just thought, you know what, 
there's something going on, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, I thought, you know what, maybe let me just sleep through it. I might be okay. Uh, and try to see how I feel in the morning. Um, because usually that's always uh, worked for me. Uh, you know, slept, woke up just feeling even worse than I, um, than I'd felt before. And that's when I just knew that there was something that was up, you know, and like any other, any other person, um, you know, you start Googling things. And I think I, any doctor or any professional will tell you that's actually the worst thing you should be doing because now you're just going to create a whole bunch of anxiety for yourself, worrying about things because a lot of these symptoms um, are very similar to other uh, symptoms of, you know, any other, uh, you know, viral infections, you know, uh, whether it's a cold fever. Um, but then that was when I, um, I, you know, when I also found out that again, I'd been uh, working with, uh, uh, with my dad, just who later also found out that there was someone that was sick, uh, you know, at his, at his job, I started trying to put a few pieces together and part of me didn't want to tell mom right away because I know how anxious she gets and how over the top she gets. But when I'm sick, um, like most guys, I'm afraid of being sick. <laughs> so I had to let her know. And right off the bat, you know, um, her having that background, she kind of knew as she began asking me some questions she kind of already knew what was what was really up. And, you know, as I started feeling even worse, she just kind of then took over from that. She said, you know what, let's really kind of jump into this whole whole process. And then, of course, the home remedy started to kick in. Um, you know, the Tylenol, just her taking great care of me because she's always – you know, she was always being good at, uh, she's always been great at taking care of people. And I think that always goes back to her background of taking care of her own mother uh, growing up. And so I think just her nurturing nature in general just really, really helped during that process because I have never felt that sick before in my entire life. Hmm. Uh, I just, I just felt, you know, just like any other person, you know, just reading up on what was going on uh, with the cases of COVID, you know, you, you worry, you, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, especially knowing that I was, you know, pretty healthy person in general. And, and so that was, for me, was really, really scary. Um, you know, and, you know, the care, you know, that I, that I received from mom and, and, and everyone was, really, really helpful, but I don't know, or I can't even imagine going through that process alone uh, by myself. So I was really, really grateful that uh, she was able to, uh, to step in and provide all the, all the support and help that she did. Thank you very much, Adrian, for sharing. Uh, just to recap, the symptoms that you felt so that other people in your age group and maybe younger can uh, probably... Um, uh, nail down this information and try to um, understand what happens. You felt yes. fatigued, okay? You are going to a gym. You're already at a gym, right? Or you're about to go to a gym but couldn't? Yes. Because you felt, yes. you felt fatigued, just like that. And you're somebody, you're someone who exercises every day. 
you know yes you're very athletic you're very competitive you've been competitive you played soccer at uh, all through <laughs> right from your yes. right from at the time you're young you know right. elementary school high school college you you played at a very very high level so you have this athletic mind and spirit and drive and for you to feel, to have felt fatigued i didn't even know about this i'm just hearing about this for the first time because uh, you didn't explain to me that you had felt fatigued but now it makes sense because that's the after that fatigue um uh and that is the, the other thing i want to emphasize for people of your age you have to communicate you have to let people know how you're right. feeling you know as it turns out i got to know of the later symptoms that you told me about and that i could see for myself but this fatigue symptom that is a symptom i wish i'd known about it earlier you know maybe would have arranged for earlier testing and that kind of thing so for people listening to this it's very very important to communicate how you feel so that you don't harbor the virus because the earlier that you attend to this illness the better for you the better the chances of recovery but if you let it sit in your body without being tested and without receiving you know whatever you have to do to fight it then you prolong you pr- prolong the recovery and you increase your chances of um uh worse outcomes so that is very very important that is one thing i got from your sharing and then you're drenched in sweat and fever and then very very typical of people in your age group you did just decided to go to bed and kind of <laughs> sleep <laughs> Right. This is why I got very concerned and this is why I wanted to be kind of lead and be in charge because I didn't trust both of you to actually take care of yourselves. I wanted to to have an eye on you. I wanted to you to be with me in the same not in the same room but in the same space where I could actually monitor what was going on. So for right. me that was very important. And this is also proof that uh, people in your age group and males <laughs> especially you you kind of um uh the way you respond to illness is a little different. But um again for people listening please if you feel like you have a fever and you're drenched in sweat don't just go to bed and sleep it out. That is not going to work. You know, you have to 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 tell people that uh, that can help you and that can probably start controlling the fever. Because once you get this fever it has to be controlled. You don't want it to escalate. You don't want the temperature to keep going up. So again, uh that communication I wish I knew at that point I would have told you what to do so that we would have started controlling the fever earlier. Right. And um yeah, how about you um Edo? Yeah, I mean <clears throat> I think very very similar to to Adrian uh I'm I'm very athletic right I I come from um you know playing soccer my entire life you know playing all different sports I go to the gym you know uh, you know twice a day um so I 
I think it's a little different for my demographic uh, because I think, like you said, it's very hard for us sometimes to communicate. We want to be um, able to take care of ourselves, you know. Right. And, it, and, and you, you said something that was very funny. Um, I think a, a, a child, right, there's nothing that you can hide from. You've always seen me when I'm feeling uh, unwell or when, you know, something was stressing me. So like, I think there was just like this motherhood instincts that kicked mm-hmm. in when, you know, your boys are, something is, yeah, going, something on. is going on. So yeah. I think obviously when, um, when we went to go get tested and it came back, I, you know, just to kind of step back for a second, like I felt like almost like a, an outcast, you know, because of how much the, the disease and like the perception around if you had it, like, oh my gosh, like mm-hmm. you couldn't be around anyone. And I think that that was just, um, you know, tough for me to to handle. But mm-hmm. um, I didn't have the same symptoms as Adrian. My symptoms were right. very, um, very different. Mine weren't as, you know, showing. I didn't have a fever. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I had a little bit of a, a, a cough, if you will, um, but nothing else. I didn't really feel fatigue in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really didn't know, like if it wasn't for you to have me go get tested, I would have never knew that I had COVID. Right. And I think you, um, I, I did my research, but I think you like really doubling down and, and like sharing some of the CDC guidelines and like, um, you know, what to look out for um, allowed me to realize, Oh wow. Like, okay, this is starting to develop. And as it started, it continued to progress after the days, as you saw. Then I really started to get, you know, I, I really, yeah, I started to get a little bit of a head cold. I, you know, wasn't myself when I tried to go run. I felt like I wasn't able to breathe as I normally could when I was out on a run. So hmm. it was, uh, they started to progress over, over the days for sure. That's very, very interesting. And again, I'm hearing some new information here that, <laughs> I, that, I, that I never heard about. I never heard about this breathing issue. <laughs> like, like Adrian said, yeah. we were, we're afraid to scare you. That is so, so bizarre. Because here we are, and you guys were holding information from your mother... <laughs> Who was trying to help you fight a disease? This is so, so wrong because I didn't, I wanted you to scare me so that I could do even more. So please never, never hold this kind of information, especially when you're confronted with this kind of deadly disease that nobody knows everything about. You know, even the physicians and scientists after so many months, are still learning about the disease. So we needed to hear this information. We needed to know about these symptoms. If I had heard that you tried to run, did you try to go before we tested, right? That was before we tested. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I remember actually calling you and, and pleading with you to get tested. I said, no, mom, I won't get tested. I'm young. I don't feel anything. <laughs> Stop it. You're freaking out for nothing. And I said, no, you and your girlfriend must test. Because, first of all, 
maybe you're going to put other people that are vulnerable in danger, and I don't want that to happen. And I know on the other side of the family, there could be someone like that. So I, I encouraged you, and I explained that part of the my fears, and uh, I think that is one of the reasons. Your concern for others, mm-hmm. your concern that probably the, the person on the other side of your girlfriend's family that could be vulnerable. You want you didn't want that to happen. So you wanted to get test tested, you know, to kind of uh, know what your situation was and what your girlfriend's situation was so that you could protect yes. other family members. Yes. From getting infected. And I appreciate that. That was very, very nice. So um but this other thing of uh, running and feeling short of breath, I wish I not you didn't feel short of breath. But you didn't feel like... It was normal. It yeah. was normal. Yes. Okay. I think I would have told your doctor that you felt like that. Had I heard about it. So again, people of your age uh, don't want to, to say much. You don't want to communicate these kinds of things. But I can tell you, I can... Um, I can. Let me just emphasize that. It's very, very important for anyone listening that we encourage these uh, millennials, the, the millennials, the Jay-Z generation, to be more, you know, communicative, to tell us how they feel, you know, to, to, to express themselves and tell us everything. Because you may not consider that important, but me, with my healthcare background and with my uh, family caregiving background, I know. I need the information in order to figure out if this is actually a symptom or not, not, of it's nothing, you know. Mm-hmm. So again, um, anyway, that is uh, that is what happened, and um, let me now go to um, um, again the um, how did we respond to this. Uh, what did we do? How was our symptom cons- uh, control strategy executed? Um, first of all, I kept surfing for information, you know, generic CDC guidelines on what, you know, symptom flare-ups to look out for. Fever was a major, major thing that um, all this information and CDC guidelines were talking about. Uh, even their primary care doctors had mentioned um, fever. If it were, if if it escalated, if there was a flare-up, anything above 102, I had to call. So my main symptom control strategy was to control the fever. That was the main thing. Control the fever. And how did I do that? Uh, we had, um, uh, I gave them uh, the um, stronger, the severe Tylenol, and uh, kept uh, cooling off um, Adrian's uh, temperature whenever, you know, every like uh, two hours, I would take uh, a warm and cool pad towel and pad, pad his forehead area, his uh, neck area, his face, and everything, just to try and make sure that his temperature was not going, uh, was not flaring up. And um, we also had uh, homemade remedies. Uh, 
that um, we had had a, about. And uh, so every morning, uh, we actually had uh, aloe vera, uh, the leaves of that. We got that from a supermarket, the grocery store. And uh, I bought uh, a lot of other things, out of which we made a concoction, some kind of fruit fruit uh, mix of lemons and pop and and um, and um, let me see lemons uh, the pulp of lemons and um, aloe vera I always made it separately so that they could drink that reddish juice that came out that was very very bitter and sour but I made <laughs> them <laughs> do it every morning and this and this and that mix I put ginger lemons and um a few other things so um i made that every morning i boiled it and um i gave it to them garlic we we, we had garlic in there we had ginger we had lemons we had pulp and um i made that every morning and gave it to them and um they didn't like it at all but uh we had plastic cups so after they used them we would throw those away uh in a separate kind of trash bag and uh then we would rush everything outside the house to make sure that you know the there was infection control in our home care environment and uh they also um I also gave them uh, good food that would provide them with zinc and vitamin D and vitamin C. So they, I gave them broccoli, for example, to eat with garlic. And um, I was also, um, the meals I prepared, I made sure there was salmon, for example. And um, I, I was very, very heavy on fruits. And uh, we also had uh, vita the vitamin C drink, the emergency C drink, the packets mm. that you dissolve in water and drink. They also had uh, a good share of that. I gave them a lot of things, <laughs> most of them homemade. Mm. But I think the most effective homemade remedies was the aloe vera drink that I made and boiled every morning. And the concoction, which included garlic, it included ginger, it included a lot of lemons and limes. And um, yes, that is plus pulp. And that is what I I gave them as the homemade um, remedy. And I gave them good food so that had sources of zinc and vitamin D and vitamin C. So that's how we fought this, and I was consistent. They had this drink, uh, the concoction, three times a day, and the aloe vera three times a day, and I made sure that they were well, well fed and hydrated. Uh, nothing out of the bottle. They just had um, water. They just had um, uh, the sources of... Um, vitamin D and vitamin C. And I think that's what helped. It was the nutrition. It was the uh, fever control. It was the um, <laughs> making sure that I took their vital signs all the time. 
I took their temperature all the time. I took their pulse all the time. I had an oximeter. I took their, I, I, you know, I asked them how they felt and I observed. I observed them. I, you know, I looked at them and see and um, I could tell uh, from their facial expressions and how they were breathing and how they were uh, walking around and how they, you know, how they behaved. So observation was key. Treatment with Tylenol helped uh, with fever control. Monitoring was very, very important. Uh, that um, cooling uh, pad around Adrian also helped and he also had showers all the time to kind of cool himself off. And uh, the, the zinc, vitamin D and vitamin C sources, you know, dietary sources of that. That's what we used and that's what helped us. Do you have any questions for me uh, to kind of um, things that you are wondering about, why we're giving them to you uh, or things that you want to ask me as your family caregiver? Do you yeah. that? No, I think I think for me, um, you know, honestly, it was a sense of trust, right? Uh, I, once, once, uh, you know, we were both sick. I think we both, you know, welcomed your professionalism and your understanding of how to kind of get us to become better and back to our natural kind of form. Um, so, you know, I while I didn't like the concoctions that we you were <laughs> making and they didn't taste good and eating the garlic, um, you know, I saw a lot of progression in how I was feeling. So um, I never questioned it. Did I like it? Absolutely not. But it did it like, you know, with everything being said, like I came out of it stronger and, you know, we, we you know, beat COVID. So for me, I didn't really have, you know, questions. I don't know about you, Adrian, if, you know, your, your thought process was, was different. Yeah, no, very similar to you, uh, Ado. I think there was, um, you know, once kind of mom took the reins, I kind of knew things were going to be okay. You know, I think when I was, um, you know, doing my own research as well, um, you know, I, I, I knew that, you know, given her professionalism, you know, and just kind of understanding of, you uh, you know, things of this, you know, this nature, I knew things were going to be okay. I think the only question that maybe that I had uh, for mom was at some point, the Tylenol that uh, you were giving me, uh, mom was not as powerful as the one that you gave me on one of the times. Now, is there, what was the shift? What made you go from that, um, you know, level to the much stronger one. Because after I took the much stronger one, when I went to bed, I was sweating like crazy. And then I woke up with so much energy. So right. what was kind of that shift? Yes. Uh, your temperature kept fluctuating. Uh, it went up, it spiked up, it came down. At one point, it went to 102 degrees, even more. Yeah. And I got so, so scared. So uh, I kind of, that triggered that triggered me to give you something stronger. And uh, so I knew I had something and I gave it to you. 
So that is that is what happened, and uh, I think it it really helped. So um, maybe in summary, for people that are listening, let me just uh, kind of um, go over the the um, the things that really helped us that we want to share with other families that are dealing with this in a home care environment. Um, so. Um, First of all, I followed the gener generic advice put out by the CDC. That is very important. You have to follow formal public health information. There's so much information out there, but please follow public health advice from the professionals. That is one. And two, listen to the primary care doctors of your home care patients or clients if they are able and involved. If they are not involved, like in my case, they were not so involved, but at least I knew that if the temperature escalated, if it spiked to 103 degrees, for example, higher, I needed to contact them. The other thing was to keep my boys hydrated, to eat healthy. So in our, in our case, uh, dietary sources of vitamin, vitamin C, and zinc were very, very important. Resting adequately was something that I encouraged most of the time. They needed to rest so that they could recover. Then closely monitoring new and existing symptoms was something I did very, very religiously. I was particularly uh, focusing on monitoring shortness of breath and uh, fever spikes that was very, very vigilantly monitored. And uh, hand washing was key. Hygiene was key because I needed to keep the spread, the, the environment, the home care environment strictly controlled so that we wouldn't be spreading and reinfecting each other. All the time we wore masks, we were wearing masks and gloves all the time. And we threw them out right away. We took them out. So that was very, very important. And, um, of course, we, we, physically to, we physically tried to social distance. They each stayed in their own rooms. And none of us, except me, that went there to take their vital signs could go into those rooms. But, and they, we all stayed home in a 14-day quarantine. All these were important and helpful. I also did take seriously the anecdotal role assigned to natural homemade remedies. And most of these anecdotes I eventually adopt, that I eventually adopted came from people who had either recovered or knew someone who had recovered from the disease. So the researcher in me compared the anecdotes and found some Interesting consistency in those lived experiences. I also did my own internet search to roughly check the credibility of some of the claims. So in the end, uh, that is what we adopted. Every morning I prepared and boiled aloe vera leaves, waited for the drink to cool down, had everyone drink it, including myself, I also made and served everyone a drink blended out of a mix of lemons, garlic, ginger, oranges, and pulp. A number of times we all snacked on broccoli, 
chopped garlic, onion rings with an olive oil and vinegar dressing. They like Italian, so sometimes I, I dropped in Italian <laughs> dressing to make the garlic <laughs> a little bit tasty. <laughs> and um, uh, I frequently made salmon, chicken soup, as well as some favorite staple traditional Ugandan food. <laughs> so I fed everyone healthy meals with a focus on immune-boosting foods, including fiber, and uh, vitamins. So I put out fresh oranges, tangerines, and all kinds of fruit for them to snack on. And that is how we actually managed to um, to deal with this. Everyone hydrated on warm water. I made sure they had warm water and black tea with ginger, lemon wedges, and honey sometimes. I also, we also did gargling. I, I put some salt <laughs> in some warm water every morning and asked each one of them to gargle with salted warm water. We did that too. And a week into the fight, I must admit, I could tell that we're winning the symptom control fight. Symptoms had not re-emerged and new ones had not, had not developed. Everyone was feeling much better doing... Um, some exercise in the basement and resting well. We all learned a lot. We later got a chance to get tested again, and the result was negative for all of us. I never caught the disease <laughs> because uh, I religiously followed the guidelines. I protected myself with gloves, with protective gear. I had a, uh, a gown. I had everything, and I followed everything religiously. So... It was a pleasure to take care of my, my sons and fight this disease and to emerge successful. My boys um, uh, recovered fully, and um, that experience is part of our memories as, uh, as a family. And uh, I hope uh, many of you out there listening have uh, learned a thing or two.